the skylark will start singing a song while it is running away from the predator, flying away from it, to let the predator bird know, I'm going to be hard to catch. This is awesome. And I'm reminded of the power that comes when we will sing a song of victory and joy no matter what we're facing, no matter how dark it may seem, no matter how the predator seems to be closing in, you will find there is something victorious that will rise up in the heart of every child of God when we will sing our praises to God, when we'll let that new song in our mouth work its way out no matter what we are facing. The Word of God declares that all of nature testifies of God. What an incredible thought. Everything that God has created has something to say about who God is. There is much to be learned when we study the relationship between God and His creation. In today's message, Pastor Joplin preaches on Jesus' statement from Matthew chapter 6 and verse 26. Look at the birds. Listen in to learn three ways God uses His creation, the creatures of the air, to teach us something about His design for us. God tells us in His Word that all of creation, all of nature, that it testifies of God. What an incredible thought that everything God created has something to say about who God is. That there is much to be learned when we study and consider God's relationship with His creation. In Luke 15, we learn from studying a sheep who has strayed away from the fold and how the shepherd will leave that fold to go get that sheep. In Mark 4, we learn about how a sower, a farmer, sows seed and how certain portions of that seed produce a harvest and some of it gets choked out and some of it produces a good crop and we learn how that is an analogy we can learn from it concerning our relationship with God. In Luke 13, we are taught that uh, a barren tree that was meant to produce fruit, but doesn't produce fruit, it's going to be cast down and thrown into the fire. And Jesus uses this as an analogy to teach us something about our relationship with God. In Matthew 20, we learn from studying the relationship between a boss and his employees. In Matthew 13... We learn that we can watch how fishermen catch fish, separate the fish at the end of the catch, and how God is going to do something very similar in the end of the age, separating the lost from the saved. In Luke 15, we learn by studying the relationship between an estranged son and his father. Much more could be said. Studying the persistent widow the storm that came to two homes but left only one standing, the wheat and the tares, the tiny seed of the mustard tree that grows into this great big tree. The list could go on and on. The point is that scriptures repeatedly point us to nature to teach us on a multitude of topics about God. In fact, you might find it interesting to know that this is the primary way that Jesus taught. It's indisputable that Jesus was a topical preacher. 
You will never find Jesus teaching the Old Testament scriptures line by line, verse by verse. He never did it, not once. You will never find the apostles in the New Testament teaching or writing line by line, verse by verse. They were topical preachers. Now, there is a time and place for everything. I'm not opposed to Bible teaching line by line and verse by verse. I am opposed to somehow elevating it to this place of the sacred cow, which is the only way we can ever do anything, because we see that God chooses to use nature to teach us about topics and how we relate to God. God created all of nature. He created it all. And all of his creation has something to say about him. I'm going to begin a sermon series today titled, All of Creation. And it's going to be something different than I've ever done in that I'm not preaching part two next week. I don't even know when I'll preach the next one. I'm not calling it part one, part two, part three. But what I'm going to do over the course of the future is I'm going to take some time to study nature. And it might be two months from now. And for all we know, I might preach on the ant. You know, the Bible tells us, God says, and I quote, look at the ant. That means there's something to learn there. And so I'm excited to spend some time teaching on nature. This morning, I bring our attention back to verse 26, where Jesus says, look at the birds. That's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at the birds. In Genesis chapter 2, God created the birds. In Genesis chapter 8, Noah sends two birds out. One was a raven, one was a dove, both to try to find dry land. We find birds in the beginning of Genesis and all the way back in Revelation chapter 19 when God's going to judge the earth. One of the angels calls for all the birds of the air to gather and play their role in judgment on the earth, feasting upon the kings and captains and all the mighty men who rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Bible, there are 38 different kinds of birds that are named In our text today, the Lord Jesus Christ tells us to look to the birds, which is exactly what we're going to do. I want to share this morning three attributes that I believe we can learn from looking to the birds. Attributes that God designed in them to teach something to us about our relationship with God. The first thing I want us to see is very simply that God created birds to be creatures They neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns. Birds are creatures who depend upon God, who depend upon God's creation to sustain them. They don't sow and reap. Here's what he's saying. Birds don't get to thinking to themselves, man, we're going to need some seed here in about three months. We better plant some sunflowers, let those things grow up so that down the road we've got some seed to eat. They just trust the flowers are going to grow. They just trust that whatever they need to eat is going to be there tomorrow. They depend entirely upon God to feed them. He even says they don't store into barns. It's one of the interesting things about birds. Most of them, there are a few that you can find that store for a little bit of time, but most birds do not store up for the future. 
They don't think, wow, we've got uh, cold coming, and so we better store up a bunch to get through the winter. They just live day by day. It reminds me of God leading his people of uh, Israel into the promised land. And you might remember while they were wandering through the wilderness, the Bible teaches us that God fed them daily with manna from heaven. But God gave them command and he told them, only take what you need for the day. Anything that you take beyond that, you try to hoard for yourself for tomorrow and it's going to rot, it's going to turn to maggots. And if you know the story, just like us, a bunch of them didn't really trust God. And a bunch of them decided, well, we're going to try to hoard a little anyways. And exactly what God said was going to happen was going to happen. It rotted, turned to maggots, it didn't work. God was trying to teach his people the very thing Jesus is trying to teach us here, that we are meant to be creatures of dependence who learn to trust and rely entirely upon God. This is why Jesus could say, do not worry. Now, would you agree with me? That's hard to do. It really is. Like, we know we shouldn't. We know that we're not supposed to worry. We're supposed to be anxious about nothing. We know that. And even, you know, up here, we can kind of make sense of why we're not supposed to, because God can do anything, and he's on our side but let's be honest, that's easier said than done. It takes some work to get these anxious hearts of ours to calm down and relax and be reminded, I can't even add a single hour to my life by worrying. It's not possible. You know what helps to meditate on that sometimes? You might be shocked to know that I've dealt with worry, a lot of it. And I have to remind myself, dude, you can't change anything by worrying about it. You, 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 I, I've, you can't change it. You can't fix it. You can't, if something happened in the past you're worrying about, like there's nothing worrying about is going to change. It's been said that worry is a lot like a rocking chair. It'll give you something to do, but it won't get you anywhere. Jesus says, pay attention to the birds. Now, I want you to really hone in on his final point there concerning being anxious about nothing. He said, if God cares for them, how much more is he going to care for you? Brothers and sisters, one of the things we can learn from looking at God's creation of the birds is that they, like us, are meant to be creatures of dependence. Next, number two this morning. God created birds to be creatures of song. Creatures of song. I spent a lot of time this week studying the songs of birds. It was a, it was a fun study. I had a good time doing it. I'm going to share with you some stuff that like was... Uh, um, interesting to me, some of it was moving, but I saw application to who we are as God's people. Their birds are creatures of songs. All of them have a song. Even the ones whose songs are not too beautiful, the crane, the crow, the hen, the pelican, 
eagles, vultures, they all have songs. But 60% of birds are called songbirds. These are birds who communicate primarily through song. They are identified by their song. Most birds sing not at night, not in the storm, not in darkness, not in the heat of day, but at dawn in the morning hours. Now, here's what's fascinating about that. As we've already discussed, birds are creatures of dependence. This is what it means. They get up in the morning and they sing not knowing what they're going to eat that day, not knowing how they're going to feed their young, not knowing what the day's going to hold, not knowing what dangers are ahead of them. But it's the first thing that they do is get up and sing a song to God. And I want to challenge you, brothers and sisters, to know there's a lesson there to be learned from us. There is something significant that happens when we are willing to sing a song to God, to lavish our love upon God, not because of what he did, not because of we know exactly what's going to happen tomorrow, not because everything's in a line and there's no worries and fears, but simply because he is God, he is good, he's given me another day to live, and I want him to know that I love him. You guys have uh, heard me a handful of times recently. I know I mentioned it at our leadership conference a few weeks back. We need to ask ourselves the question, like how much time do we spend just telling God that we love him? Not asking for stuff. Not reading our Bible. Those are things we need to do. But I, I mean, how much time do you spend telling God you love him? Just singing your song. This, uh, earlier this week, I was out in my place, which is uh, a place out in the woods. And it was early in the morning and the sun was up and it was, it was beautiful. And as I was trying to sing my song, if you will, I was overtaken with all the songs of the birds. Like I, I got to where I couldn't even concentrate on what I was trying to pray. I just I was fascinated, like all the birds were singing and chirping and doing their thing. And I was just reminded of all of creation. It testifies to God. Brothers and sisters, we have a song to sing in the morning. One of the things that I noticed or studied this week about birds, three things concerning their songs. One is that birds have a familiar song. Like a song that is... Uh, recognizable. The nightingale has up to 300 love songs that it sings. The canary takes up to 30 short breaths a minute when it sings. The cowbird uses up to 40 different notes when it sings, and some of them are so high that we can't hear them. The male thrasher has up to 2,000 different songs that it sings, and every one of them is distinctly different. There are some who study birds who believe that the male thrasher may never sing the exact same song the exact same way his entire life. The point being, there is a kind of music that comes only from God. God created these birds to be birds of song, divinely fashioned. And there is a song that God has put in our heart. I I think about the scripture that teaches us God has put a new song in our mouth. That when we're sick, when we're, fearful, when we're fearful, when we're afraid, songs of faith can calm our soul. 
I think of men like David and Job that even in the midst of their turmoil and even in the midst of their confusion, they were men of praise. Look what Psalm 32 and verse 7 tells us. David said, you are my hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. That word shouts, it's an interesting word. It's not used very many times in the Old Testament. What it means is to cry out loud with joy. It's literally what it means, to cry out loud with joy. The, uh, we see the concept of even in the place of where we need delivered, God surrounds us with songs of deliverance, with shouts and cries of joy of God's deliverance. You know, there are few things that will stir your soul like a loud shout of deliverance. A song that comes from the innermost place of the soul where when we're singing what we sing, we mean what we mean, and somehow it begins to stir me that even in the midst of all that I'm surrounded by, my God is on my side. It's not just any song, but a song of shout. It's a cry of deliverance. It's a shout of joy. It's a cause to sing aloud. Look at Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. One of the things that I see in this passage is that there is a command and a need for us to gather and sing songs together. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Can I run off on a little tangent and then come back home here in just a minute? I want to acknowledge that some of the um, things that we deal with in church today it was not even possible for them to be addressed in the first century. Such as, um, you know, online media, um, being able to watch church from home. And I think that uh, there, honestly, I'm really thankful for those opportunities for us to take the gospel, to take what we're doing, and use the format of the internet to get it out to as many people as possible. But it's possible for God's people to misuse those things and miss out on some of the stuff God's created us to do. There is, I mean, it's impossible, impossible that to do Colossians 3.16 in the era of time Colossians 3.16 was written. It's impossible for any of that to have happened without them coming together. You can't admonish somebody you don't see. You can't sing spiritual songs and encourage people to sing psalms and songs together when you're not together. It's just not possible. And what I want to bring back in here, circle around back home, there's something that happens when God's people get together and we sing a spiritual song, a song of deliverance. And I've been in church before. I've been in church here many times before when we're just singing words. I can't explain it. I don't know the magical formula. There isn't one. All I know is there's times that we come in and brothers and sisters, it's sort of like we're just singing words. 
Sometimes it's you individually. You know what I mean? It's like you just your mind isn't where it needs to be, your heart not where it needs to be, and you come in and you know you sing the songs, but you're not really singing them. You know what I'm saying? But then there's times, and I've watched it happen, when somehow, some way, and this has nothing to do with the song. Sometimes it's the same song we sung three weeks ago, but this day, something happened. And you were singing it, and I was singing it, and she was singing it. And with, there, there was this sense of victory. There was this sense of a shout of joy in our song. And I'm telling you, it's, it's noticeable when it happens. There's a certain spirit that moves through the place where we are encouraged. And, and, and it feels like the weight of the world starts to kind of fall off. And we're reminded that our God is good, that our God is in control. I'm telling you, there is something that happens when we gather together and we truly worship. God surrounds us with those songs of deliverance and our heart is stirred and we are reminded that our God is on the throne. There is something that happens when God's people sing. There's a family song. The cackle of a hen, the scream of an eagle, bluebird, robin, they never sing anything else. What would you think about a robin that hooted like an owl? There is a family song that we have, brothers and sisters. Something that identifies us. Something that when the world hears, they should know they're part of the family of God. And this song that I'm talking about is not necessarily you know, a written song. It's more about the song with which we walk. It's about the attitude that flows out of this heart. It's about the speech that comes out of this mouth of mine. There is a familiar family song for the church of God. I've been privileged. I've been blessed to be able to worship with God's people on different continents, in different countries, in different tongues. I've been in places where I didn't have any idea what people were saying or singing. But I'm telling you, it was a familiar song. I knew what they were singing, if you know what I mean. They were singing about my God and their God and about our Savior who bled and died for us and the fact that we were sinners who have been redeemed and we've got something to sing about. It's the one thing that unites us all the way around the world is that it's one man, Jesus Christ, that we have found faith in who has saved us and redeemed us. There is a family song that should be recognized anywhere that we go. There is a song that we ought to have. The oral has a loud song, the sparrow a long song, the blue jay a short song. Be careful not to despise someone else's song. Be careful not to think that your song needs to look or sound just like mine. God created us all uniquely, but here's one of the things that we see that when we look to the birds is they all have a song. And brothers and sisters, we as God's sons and daughters should all have a song. I had heard of the term, the swan song, but I didn't know what it was. This week I learned that the swan sings a beautiful song when she is about to die. There may have been no songs that I studied that moved my heart like this one. 
Because there is not a people group on the planet. Not one. Who have such a sweet song facing death. As God's sons and daughters do. In my line of work I've had the privilege. Of walking with families and with people through the last months, days, and even hours of their lives. It's not always easy, but it is a privilege to me. And I can tell you there is absolutely no confusion that those who know that they know that they know that they know that they are right with God, that they are born again and saved, and they're going to be going to heaven, there is no confusion with them. Their song is so different. The family is so different. There is a sense of peace. Facing death is never easy, but there is a sense of peace about it for the sons and daughters of God. I also learned that often birds sing a fearless song. In fact, most of them will sing no matter what. Doesn't matter if predators are around. It's like you just can't make them stop singing. But one specific bird was really interesting to me concerning how it sings when predators are around. The skylark will actually sing its song as a sign to its predator. It wants the predator bird that's near to know it's healthy. I love that. It knows it's in danger. It knows that there's a predator there to take its life. Instead, it's just going to sing loud and let that predator know, I'm healthy. Not this week. They say that even if a predator bird is chasing a skylark, that the skylark will start singing a song while it is running away from the predator, flying away from it, to let the predator bird know, I'm going to be hard to catch. This is awesome. And I'm reminded of the power that comes when we will sing a song of victory and joy. No matter what we're facing, no matter how dark it may seem, no matter how the predator seems to be closing in, you will find there is something victorious that will rise up in the heart of every child of God when we will sing our praises to God, when we'll let that new song in our mouth work its way out, no matter what we are facing. I was reminded of a, a situation or circumstance in my life that happened many years ago that was, I just, my mind went to it when I was studying the skylark singing to its predators. And it was a, it, there was some, some heaviness on me at this stage in my life. No real problems with people, everything was good in the church, but it was as if Satan was just really kind of trying to discourage me. And I had come up here one night to pray, and I was the only one here. And I can't, all I can tell you is I just felt like I was surrounded by darkness and heaviness. And like I just couldn't concentrate. I felt like there were evil spirits all around me just trying to just, just destroy me. And I couldn't pray. I found myself frustrated because I couldn't pray. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to go home. I actually got up from my knees, walked to the door, and then I thought, oh, that's a good way to win, Joplin. He's going to not pray at all now because you're feeling like darkness is coming around. That's real smart. Well, I started to feel, I'm just confessing my truth to you all, I started to feel a little scared. I actually felt like there was demonic presence here and, and, I, and I was all by myself and there was a little bit of me that was scared. And so now I'm grappling with, well, you're going to go home 
What are you going to do? And I thought, well, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to toughen up. And I came, I, I went to the bathroom, ended up coming right back down here, kneeling and praying. I thought, I'm going to pray. And I couldn't pray. I was scared. I felt surrounded. And my mind was going everywhere else. All I can think in it, I'm, these are thoughts I'm actually thinking. Like, you look pretty stupid right now. You're just sitting here pretending to pray. You're kneeling. You got your head down, but you're not actually praying. All you're thinking about is everything you're thinking about. And, I, I mean, I was messed up, folks. Darkness was just, I just felt it. I Almost physically, I felt like I could feel it. And this is exactly what I did. That's why I hear about this old Skylark. Sing it to his predator is what I did. I, wrote, I just set up and I said out loud, what's it like to be so weak? You can't do anything to me but sit here and let me worship my God. What's it like to be so powerless that you can't lay a hand on me because I am a son of God? I said those words out loud. And then I started talking to God. And I started praising God. God, you're wonderful. God, you're mighty. You're holy. You're lifted up. You saved me out of a miry pit. God, you took a wretch like I was and you washed this black heart of mine and you made it white as snow and you gave me new life. And God, you are mighty and you are holy. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, there was a moment, I felt it. There was a moment when it was like that darkness just, poof, it was gone all of a sudden and I couldn't stop praising God. I don't know how long I stayed. I don't know what else I did. All I'm telling you was it was like the enemy flew once I opened this mouth of mine and I started praising God there is power that comes when we are willing to worship even in the times when it feels like darkness is closing in David lay desperate in a cave he was anointed king years before but you know the story Saul got crazy he went mad David tries to tell Jonathan, your dad wants to kill me. Jonathan says, I'm not real sure about that. Let me do some investigating. And here's the deal. You're going to go out in the field. And if indeed dad wants to kill you, I'm going to shoot an arrow out to let you know. And you know the story. The arrow comes out. And David knows I better run because my life is about to be taken from me. David's a little trying to figure it out. You remember he comes to the king of Achish and kind of acts like he's crazy to be free? What I'm about to read to you, David wrote in the weeks that followed that. I mean, here's a man who just found out there is a hit on my head by the most powerful man in the land. And he has taken the force of his army and unleashed them to hunt me down and take my life. I want to read to you what David wrote in that state of mind. Psalm 34, verse 1 through 10. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. 
This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. I'm telling you, God puts a song in our heart, brothers and sisters. (sighs) The bird sings when the sun comes up without any surety of food. Jesus says, take no thought about tomorrow. Finally, Psalm 40, verses 1 and 3 I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of, my, out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and hear and put their trust in the Lord. This morning, child of God, you need to know God has put a new song in your mouth, a new song in your heart. Have you lost your song this morning? Do you remember when you were first saved, how all you wanted to do was think about God, talk about God, be around the people of God, be in the Word of God, be in prayer? Do you remember a time in your life when that new song was so real to you, so important to you, so precious to you, it literally controlled the thoughts of your heart throughout the day? I ask you the question this morning, have you lost? Your song. Maybe this morning what you need to do is regain your song. There is something powerful, victorious about the song of God's people. And number three this morning. Note that God created birds to be creatures of flight. Birds are set apart from all of God's creation. It's what makes them birds. As the only creation that can rise above all others flying through the skies. And there are none that can fly as high as the eagle. Which I find interesting that when God chooses to equate us, his people, with a bird of flight, he chose the eagle. Look what God says in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. May this be a good word in due season to somebody this morning. That your God has the power to help you mount up with wings like eagles. And you may feel weary and you may feel faint. But your God has the power to help you rise above it all. What does it mean that we are to mount up with wings like eagles? This week as I pondered that question. These thoughts came to me in studying the eagle. The eagle is entirely safe 
when it soars in the heavens. It's safe from every predator. There's not another predator on the earth, not one, that can get to an eagle when it soars at the height it was created to soar at. Now, that's predators. But when you think about nature itself, you think about storms, you think about the turbulent storms, eagles have the capacity to fly so high they can literally fly above the clouds and the storms themselves. And I thought about the application to us as God's children. You know, when we really get into problem, brothers and sisters, is when we begin getting our focus on the problems on earth. When we get our heads instead of up to the heavens and we get our eyes off of Jesus and we get our heads down here on earth and we look at all that's going wrong and we get all wrapped up in earthly problems and earthly circumstances and earthly things that we want changed, you will find all of the sudden we feel stuck. But when we'll get our eyes on Jesus... When he alone is the prize. When we realize that in the sight of God, we are in Christ, seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. God says, that's where we are. There's a certain sense of victory and power that all the negativity around us, all the negative news, all the, 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 the just the negativity of life, it can't drag us down. I also found something really interesting about eagles were revered for their warlike spirit and the ferociousness with which they guarded their young. One of the things about eagles is that when they're trying to uh, hatch eaglets, their nests are up as high as they can possibly get them. The idea is to get them up away from predators. What I found interesting is that the most, uh, the biggest threat to these eggs of all things is a snake. Now that's interesting to me because you got one animal that can fly higher than the rest and one that's meant to spend its life on its belly in the dirt. And we all know that the old serpent, the snake, is this picture of Satan. Well, snakes can slither up to incredibly high places, places that the other, other animals can't get, you know, they can't get footing. It's too steep. Snakes have this way of getting to places that the rest of the predators can't. And what I saw in this is that the most dangerous time for an eagle is before it's hatched, and before it learns to fly. And it is during those times when the egg is waiting to hatch, and then once it's hatched, until those eaglets learn to fly, it's during those times that the eagles must protect their young. And I thought about the symbolism of of us as a church raising up the next generation. I, I, I thought about the, the symbolism of us as God's people needing to protect the young. The Catholic Church said something like this many years ago. Um, I'm pretty sure it was the age of five. It might have been six or seven, but this is what was said. Give us your children for the first six years of their life 
and they'll be Catholics for the rest of their life. The only reason that I quote the Catholic Church is they're the ones who said it. But here's the reality. That's really just a universal truth that applies to all of mankind. That's not something that's unique to the Catholic Church. They were just the first to verbalize it and point it out. And when I look at us needing to protect our young until they're hatched, I'm talking about that moment when they become born again. While we're waiting for their heart to come to life to Jesus Christ and for them to see their need for a Savior and to place their faith in Jesus until that moment, brothers and sisters, especially mom and dad, we have a responsibility to be protecting our young from the old serpent who wants to get in and take their life away from them before it ever begins. And then after birth, there is this process of coming alongside and protecting and discipling and teaching and training up until the day comes when they're able to fly on their own. Eagles are known for their strength, their courage, their willingness to fly through and above the turbulent weather. I want to close this morning, this final point, with this thought. God created us to be above the rest of his creation. When we talk about mounting up wings like eagles and rising up above, God created his church, his children, his sons and daughters. He created his brothers and sisters to reign. Look with me at Genesis 1 verses 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image. God did not make any of his creation other than mankind in his image. He said, after our likeness, and let them have dominion, that means power over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Brothers and sisters, we are meant to reign. We are meant to be victorious. We are meant to mount up wings like eagles and rise above the turbulent storms of life to rise above the attacks of our enemy, to rise above the ways of the world. God created us to be victorious. Man, as, as the church, we need a vision of that. I'm telling you, our Savior, he's not hanging on a cross anymore. He's not sitting there speechless, being falsely accused and smitten and spit upon. You go to Revelation and you'll find he's the one who rose and defeated death, hell, and the grave. And he stands and holds the keys of Hades. That's who he is. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. And we need to behold him for who he is. High and lifted up the victorious king of kings. The one who defeated death. He is our savior, brothers and sisters. And you and I are meant to walk in victory. 
We need to do it with a sense of humility, and we need to understand that our victory doesn't come from anywhere other than Jesus, but I'm telling you something, we have something to walk victoriously about. If there's anybody who shouldn't be walking around on this earth with our heads down, with our shoulders slumped, with our hearts sorrowful, it is the church of the living God. We ought to be rising up in victory. And you need to know God designed you as his son, as his daughter. He designed us to live that way. One final verse, and then I'm going to close. I'll go ahead and ask those that are going to be singing a song of invitation, if you would make your way to the stage. Our final verse, I want us to look at it concerning the fact that we are meant to fly. We are meant to live in victory. Romans 8, verses 35 through 36. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. What is the conclusion? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Bless God, we are more than conquerors, church. And are we going to suffer? Some, yes. Are we going to go through persecution and tribulation and some sword and some danger? You better believe it. In fact, the word of God promises that all who live godly in Christ Jesus are going to suffer persecution. But make no mistake about it. Even in these things, we are more than conquerors. I've pondered for so long. What does that mean? And I don't even know. It doesn't just say conquerors. It could just say, we are conquerors. That's not what it says. It says more than that. It's as if there's this degree of victory. There's this degree of power. There's this degree of just living a victorious life that can only be described as more than conquering. What a powerful thought. Man, the enemy wants us to live down here, doesn't he? He wants to trip us up, get us to focus on earthly situations, earthly problems. Then he wants to get us down in that dirt and put his heel on our head and just hold us there. You need to know something this morning. Your God has given you power to rise up out of the dirt. You need to know this morning that your God's desire for you is to not grow faint and to not grow weary and for you to rise up with wings like eagles and to soar above the problems of life, to soar above the turbulent storms of life. This morning, I want to ask you three questions. One for each point. We are meant to be utterly dependent upon God. Maybe God's dealing with you this morning to lean not on your own understanding, but to trust in him with your whole heart. Maybe this morning you need to stop being so independent 
and learn how to throw yourself upon God and just depend upon Him. Whatever your need is this morning, whatever that thing is in your life, you're thinking, I just wish I had it now. I just wish that this was fixed now. I just wish I had a solution to this and a solution to that. Maybe this morning the Holy Spirit is dealing with you about just being dependent upon God. You quit worrying about tomorrow. Today has enough worry of itself. And if God cares enough to take care of the birds of the air, how much more does he care about you? Maybe that's what God brought you here this morning to remind you and encourage you about. Next, God created us to be a people of song. God put a new song in your mouth, in your heart. Do you need to regain your song this morning? Do you really love him like you first loved him? Do you really have the joy that just, it's unspeakable. You can't help it. You want to talk about God. You want to tell others about God. You want to sing about God. You want to be around God's people. You want to be at church. Do you need to regain your song this morning? And number three, is it time for you to get up out of the muck and mire of defeat? and Rise up with wings like eagles. Take on the strength of your God. Get your eyes off of everything on earth and you look to heaven and you ask God to bring you up there once again where victory is, where joy rules your heart, where peace rules your heart and you reign over every evil thing that is beneath you.